0: Hey, everybody, this is Justin Michael Williams with Motivation for Black People, giving you trusted guidance to make your life better. And I have an extraordinary guest with me right now, sitting right across from me right now. And we are going to talk today about his creative journey so that you can see, for those of you who are listening who want to get on the creative path, who have a project or a passion or a dream that you're trying to bring to life, to see somebody who's one of us. Who's done it and who's done it really goddamn well, if I got to be honest with you guys, because Jay Connor, who's sitting across from me, Jay, say what's up? What's good? What's good? What's going on, black folks? Yeah. So Jay is the founder of Extraordinary Ideas and the co-host of a podcast called Extraordinary Negroes, which you got to check out. It's amazing. He's also an editor at The Root, which is one of our favorite kind of blogs and media platforms for the culture. He's been featured by... I mean, literally the list was kind of stupid when I looked at it, so I'll just pull out <laughs> my favorite things. It's like the New York Times, Pitchfork, Huffington Post, South by Southwest, CBS. I mean, this man has been all over the place, and he just got to L.A. just five years ago. Thanks. And so I want you guys to hear Jay's incredible story about how he stepped into his creative power so that I can inspire you to step into yours. So, Jay. Jay. What up, man? What up? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. So, talk, take us through. Talk to me. Start
1: at the beginning. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, I was born. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I mean when I think when I think creativity creatively, um, I think that I really first knew that I had a gift. I mean, I've always had a knack for, um. The arts, whether it's, uh, you you know, drawing or music or whatever else. And I think that when I first realized I had a, a knack for something was, uh, I would say probably when I was like seven or eight years old, my mom bought me like a little Casio, um, keyboard. Yeah. Was it the one with like the red with the white keys? Nah. No, it was a black one. Black, okay. And I, I miss and one. I missed them having those little like bootleg like uh, uh little songs tracks. on it. Yeah. yeah. Those <laughs> those, you know what I'm saying that you would play along with and learn? Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean I think that was the first time that I realized that I I had a, a multitude of gifts. I was always like a really artsy kid and um you know, I I I remember spending like summers in my in my house in my room uh just drawing. You know, while everybody else was hooping. and I mean I I hoop too, but I remember one summer. I think I was my maybe like fifteen, sixteen years old. Um, I just locked myself in my room. Like from the time I woke up seven, eight in the morning, I was just in there drawing because I was wow. hell bent. I thought that I was going to be like a um, a comic book artist.
0: Wow! Okay. So
1: um, I used to be in there drawing, just you know drawing my ass off every day, and um, I really thought that that was going to be my calling. And um, but I also had a little bit of a uh situation a little not situation a little bit of issue with pride because um i sent off my portfolio to like marvel comics okay when i was like 15 16 years old. i think i was 16 and they send something back like yo you're you know you're writing portfolio you know first you got to get your, your 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 confidence up to even send it because you, right. you draw and you like yo i'm nice but i don't know right. i don't know so i got my confidence up finally send it in and um I get a letter back and they're like, yo, like we really like your stuff, but you're, you know, we'd love for you to, you know, maybe intern for us whenever you're, you know, in college. Oh wow. But I'm like sixteen, I'm like, I'm not waiting, like fuck that. I'm Right. (laughs) Right. I'm not waiting. So my dumb ass, I just quit drawing like cold turkey. What? Wait. Yeah.
0: Really? Yes. Oh wow. Isn't that amazing what like the rejection will do to us, especially when we're young like this, right? Like that one
1: not yet basically yeah. which is what you got that's what, that's what i was about to say i, I wouldn't even count it or uh say it's rejection i would i would chalk that up to impatience yeah totally because it wasn't rejection I mean, yeah they were like you're dope but you gotta wait two years you right. know what i mean and and if anything it wasn't even two years because i graduated when i was 17 oh my gosh so it was like basically a year and change okay um but um yeah i've always been heavily involved in music and drawing and uh writing and and whatever else but um after that happened uh and i it kind of knocked me off my 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 game because i i spent so much of my life thinking that i was going to be a comic book artist yeah um then i kind of embraced kind of like my musical side and i started like you know hanging out in like studios and thinking i was going to be like this big like rapper mm. and producer and 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 uh, i was nice but um i think something that a lot of people str- struggle with And I think that it's something that was kind of my journey was that like when it comes to being a creative, a lot of times you're unless you're just extraordinarily talented and extraordinarily driven. Yeah. It's all about who you keep around you. Yeah. Relationships. Yeah. And it's, and it's like if you're not around like creative energy to keep you motivated and focused and on your, you know, that's why I'm glad I surround myself with people like you and others that are constantly, you know, out here handling business so that. It keeps me, you know, in, in, in not only in the loop, but just motivated. Yeah. And when I lived, that was when I was li- living in Tulsa, and around there, like I was one of one. Yeah. There's nobody else. Yeah. Especially so, not black people. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, is there even black people in? Oh it? yeah, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's, no, there's there's plenty, but I no, mean, I, I think know. that like there's a difference between like if you're like MJ, if you're like Michael Jordan, yeah, and you're out here dunking on niggas and all this other shit, yeah. but you playing around with like G leaguers, you're gonna be like,
0: yeah you're not being challenged. I'm at not, all. You're get not better. growing. Yeah. And
1: I was always like not only the best person in the room but like way better than everybody else so it just kind of like had me just like eh and that was kind of honestly that was kind of an underlying theme throughout my life up until I moved to LA. That's and that's the way LA will get you. LA will humble you real quick. I feel
0: like what hap- that same thing with me. Yeah. So f- first thing I'll say is one of my favorite quotes and I can't remember who said it but it was just like if you're the best person or the smartest person in the room, you need to get into another room. You're in the, wrong, you're in the room. wrong room. And then thinking about that, like when I was growing up, it was very similar for me, you know. And then I moved to LA and I remember, so I went to UCLA. Yeah. And I went there to go to college. And I'm like, oh, everybody was class president. Yeah. Everybody was valedictorian. Yeah. Everybody was like, yeah. you know, had a 4 I was like, oh shit, you know? And then you start seeing these people who are really You know have been training like you know professionally with their rich parents and stuff like that for their whole lives and then that can even take you in a whole different direction you know in la or a whole different kind of level with your pride but anyway
1: yeah back
0: to your story so you
1: until you moved to la you were always kind of the one i was always the one um and even for a moment honestly just because in part because of being the one it kind of stifled me you know creatively yeah um just because, like, I always knew I had the talent. Uh, I wasn't. I just wasn't around other people that were talented, and it made that would inspire me to want to create. Yeah. So I ended up going into the military when I was like oh, nineteen. Shit, I was not expecting that twist yeah. in the plot, y'all. Plot twist, y'all. Okay. So I ended up going into the military when I was nineteen. Um, that was wow, a lot. Um, ended up being one of the first people deployed after nine eleven.
0: Whoa.
1: Uh, just a whole lot. You know what I mean? Dealing with a whole lot and. Um I went I ended up going that route in part because um as black kids, we don't always have the most opportunities to get ahead. Yeah. Um and I was I wanted nothing to do with school. I was just like college is not happening. I'm absolutely not doing college. Yeah. <laughs> Anything I can do to get ahead and kind of skip the line, I'll do it. And I always had a thing for computers, so I was like maybe mm. I can go in um you know, take the ASVAB. Hopefully I'll get a job in computers cuz they assign you a job based upon your score. The higher okay. you score, the more jobs you have available to you. Okay. And I like I scored so high the first time I took it, they thought I cheated. Oh. So shit. they made me take it again and then I scored even higher. Of course they thought the black guy cheated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. So yeah. um so yeah, I scored even higher the second time so I told them what I wanted to do and so I ended up doing network administration and that's what I did in the military until um I got out. How long were you in the military? Uh, Four years. Wow, man.
0: Y'all, I have to just let you know, I did not know this. I'm getting this for the first time, too, for you listening. This is a twist in the plot. Okay, So, yeah,
1: um, did that for four years. Um, Realized that that wasn't my mission, wasn't my calling. And then from there, I decided that um, I wanted to uh, become a social worker. Okay. So I'm about to get out the military, and they're offering me. I was getting, like, all these lucrative job offers. Basically, everything that I aspire to do in the military, I succeeded at. Because I was like, four years from now, I'm going to be set for life. I'm Mm -hmm. going to have all this experience. I'm going to have this top secret security clearance. I'm going to be rocking by the time I'm like 21. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But throughout the course of my military experience and having to go to war, I was like, I'm not doing this shit. Like, I'm done. So... Um, when I was about to get out, I had the Pentagon offering me jobs. I had General Dynamics. I had Raytheon. I had all these companies offering wow. me these, like, jobs that started at, like, 200 plus. Wow. And I was like, I'm not interested. And my mom thought I was, like, fucking tripping. She was just like, nigga, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you doing right now? Like, yeah. this is the whole plan. You executed it masterfully. Yeah. You don't even have to. You didn't end up even have to go to college. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But you have all these resources and skills and experience. And you saying no to this, and I was like, nah, I think I wanna just do social work. And she's like, nigga, like <laughs> you could be making two hundred fifty thousand starting, starting out the gate, your first job as an adult that outside of military, yeah. At two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And now I decided I wanted to be a social worker. So instead of making two fifty, I was making twenty five. So what was that? What was that? Because I think this is a big
0: thing that people battle between. And I know I've battled this before is like this desire to be creatively free or expressed or like authentic with your heart and your truth and what you want. And then also the need and the desire for money, financial success, and also fulfilling like other people's expectations. So what in that moment for you, what went through your head to actually make you lean Away from all that money, away from what your parents wanted you to do and
1: into what you felt you were called for? Um, honestly, I was just so dejected by my military experience. Mm. Um, in part because um you see it as a shortcut. Yeah. But but at the same time, hindsight being twenty twenty, you realize like they're not going into white neighborhoods they're not going into white neighborhoods and recruiting these kids to do these jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're purposely singling us out and, and seeking us out uh, to become kind of cannon fodder. Yeah. And, um, and then on, to- on top of that, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like it didn't make a lot of sense to me that I fight for the, the rights and liberties of an entire country. But when I come back to this country, I'm still treated like shit. Yeah. That don't make no sense. Plus uh, yeah. I kind of understood that like, the military is an extension of colonialism. Cause totally. if you look at what it is that we do in other countries, we're colonizing them. Yeah. And I was like, this is not what, you know, what I, what I signed up for. And plus when I came back, from being deployed, I got spit on while I was in my uniform and that just kind of set me off. Wow. had a white dude roll up on me and spit on me and I'm just like, "Really? Like I literally just spent like 9 months in the belly of the beast and this is how you're This getting... is how I'm treated when I get back." You know what I'm saying? Like you're yeah. still a nigga at the end of the day. Right. So, um That's so deep. I just really wanted to be of service to others, which I am still definitely passionate about through different means. So, I decided to be a social worker and I also wanted to stop uh, other kids from making a lot of the decision mistakes in in life that I made, yeah. Uh, when I was in a in a past life, so I did social work for eight years. Okay. Um, during that period of time, I started kind of embracing a little bit more of my creative side, a little bit, you know, writing a little bit. So um, that whole time you were in the military, like from
0: basically eighteen or whatever forward yeah. you weren't doing any of your drawing or None. nothing creative at all you had let that completely die out
1: yeah i haven't all i right. haven't drawn since i was 16 since wow. the day i quit wow and i still that's probably one of my biggest regrets wow um because part of you was like i wonder if then part of you kind of like but what if i don't still have it right you know what i mean because 20 are you are you have you still haven't drawn no Oh, Not till wow. I was 16. I mean, we're talking like 20 years. You know what I Jay, mean? So, we got to get
0: you drawing, man. You know
1: what I mean? That it's crazy. But um, so I started writing a little bit, you know, on like MySpace, like blogging, where like a lot of writers today that are popping originated from. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it was you know my co-host Alex, whether it was you know very smart brothers. Whether it was, you know, Lovey and, you know, whoever else, like a lot of us came from, you know, that MySpace tree. Right. Just on there, just, you know, blogging and writing about our lives. So that's when I started, I would say, kind of leaning into the creative side. Yeah. Um, And I was really, I started becoming a little bit dejected by the um, social work situation Mm. because um, there were so many limitations in regards to... Legal stuff, like as far as like CPS, uh, you know, boundaries and, and things that you had to respect. Um And the fact that like you were expected to work like nine to five. Yeah. And it's like you're people's lives don't turn off at five o'clock. So when one of your clients called you up at five and they're like, yo, like I can't eat. There's right. no food in the fridge. Can you help me? And you're like, yeah, sorry. I'll see you at nine sorry in the morning at nine. Yeah. yeah. Like it's like I felt some kind of way about that. And I realized like I'd much rather. If I'm going to continue to be involved in the community in that capacity, I'd much rather do it on a voluntary basis. Right. That way I'm not obligated to, you know, a paycheck or, you know, any kind of restrictions or anything of that nature. Right. You can do it in the way that you want. So, yeah, I started to get kind of dejected by that. And as I continued to still, like, you know, blog on MySpace and other stuff, I kind of realized, like, I don't think this uh, social work thing is the move. I think it's time to try something new. And as you start expressing yourself more creatively, as far as like hitting up concerts, uh, you know, writing more, hitting up open mics and all this stuff, and you know, poetry slams, and and by now I'm living in Phoenix and I'm starting to feel kind of you know uh, stifled out there too. Like the things that I want to do and the things that I want to experience, they're not they're not there. They're not there. Yeah. And it's like I'm not being inspired to create either by the people I'm around. Yeah. Because there's a ceiling. Same story. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I got to shake the spot. I got to, if I'm going to make this writing thing pop, I need to really commit myself to this and really invest in it. So that's when I decided to take a, um, I started get interested in screenwriting. Okay. And I took like a screenwriting class at community college, like a one-on-one class just so I can like learn it. And I was like, oh shit, this is way easier than like, you know, what I've been doing as far as like creative writing and stuff like that. Like this is way less intensive. All I have to do is kinda like give like a a framework yeah. of what of how everything's supposed to play. Oh man, I can do this in my sleep. So then I decided I was gonna like really um pursue screenwriting. Wow. So um It's time for career number three, four. Right. That's why
0: I'm like, I'm following through. Like we're going, okay, we got drawing.
1: Then we got the military. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. Yeah. So, um, I saved up my money, um, and decided to make that move to LA. And I didn't know, I didn't have anybody out here. I didn't have any kind of connections, any kind of relationships, but I just knew that, um, one, I was going to finally be surrounded by people who were just as good, if not better than I was for the first time ever. Yeah. So I was going to finally be creatively challenged. Um, and I also knew that, like, as talented as people are, I always had the approach that I'm going to... As talented as people are, I'm going to not only be one of the most talented people, but I'm going to work harder than everybody else. Mm. Because a lot of times it's, it's about relationships. It's about luck. Yeah. It's not always about talent. You can be a magnificent writer or magnificent singer or whatever, and you might never go nowhere. Right. But just because you happen to be friends with Mariah Carey, yeah. you can be out of here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... Yeah. Oh, I realized I had to really invest in like networking, which is something I, it was like a foreign concept to me because it's like, I didn't do this shit in Phoenix. Like who the fuck is going to help me out? Right, right. So I just started pounding the pavement, saved up about, oh, like I said, saved about six months worth of rent, moved out here, just started pounding the pavement, hitting up every, I would just be on Google and be like, where are all the, yeah, where are the networking events? I just, writing, networking, you know what I mean? And I was just like, anything I saw, I would hit up. I would be on, you know, you know, Instagram, Facebook, seeing where people are at, people that I wanted to, you know, be like or work with. Right. I'd be like, "Oh, that's where they're at. If they're tagging that location, that's where I'm going next Tuesday." Right. A lot of people don't take into consideration when it comes to like achieving their goals, especially in their creative journey. Um a lot of times they're like, "I don't know what to do. I don't know where to be. I don't know." Find whoever it is that you if you if there's somebody that you want to be, if you want to be a writer and you want to be you know, lean away. Watch her. Watch her Instagram. Yeah. Go watch where, where she, she does. Watch where she yeah, goes. Watch how she moving. Go where she goes. Like <clears throat> and, and it's a lot of times it's like it's not hard to find out where these events are at. Yeah. People just either don't put in the work or just like, you know, being obtuse. Right. Because I right. mean, it's I still do that to this day. If I you know, if there's something that I want to be at or I want to, you know, achieve, I just what are they doing? They're going there. I see them every month. You know, going to that place, I'm going there. Yeah. You know and what I'm I think
0: what you're saying is super important because this is a part where it, it's the initiative and like you said, like really putting in the work and people go like, Well, what do I do? or they're afraid to go places by themselves. And I was like, Y'all, if you guys knew how many places I show up alone, you know, and that it's uncomfortable at first, you but you get used to it and sometimes it still will be uncomfortable if you're not in the right space, you know? But like really taking that initiative and doing the research and looking. It makes it possible. And I remember I was at um, Elaine Welteroth's book tour and she was talking about one of the ways that she made it, you know, to the career point that she wanted to. She was the um, first black editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue and, like, Condé Nast. And... She said that she looked at this woman who had the job and career that she wanted and she researched everything about her and followed everything about her and did everything that she could and then started stalking her and then became, started working for her, you know, and over like a bunch of time, it wasn't like instant, you know, and I think that just goes to show that people expect to just show up and just because they're creative, they think things are going to happen, but it's not like that. There's this meet, meeting point of
1: luck, creativity, and work. And I think, too, in a city like L.A., you can get distracted so easily.
0: Ooh,
1: yes. There's so many people out here that we both know that are like, hey, I'm going to be an actor. Yeah. I'm going to come out here and kill it. And then 10 years later, they still doing nothing. And you're like, right. whoa, the time went by because you was too busy. You know, you really have to have a tremendous amount of drive and discipline. And discipline. Yeah. yeah. Especially. Okay. So, so how do we get to where you are
0: today now? So yeah. we're, now we're on career number 15, I 15, think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So like when we get to where you are
1: today, how do we get to this point? So moving out here to become a screenwriter, started pounding the pavement, uh, going everywhere, being everywhere I needed to be. And um, somehow I ended up, I can't even remember the specific details, but somehow I ended up getting on the radar of AMC, mm. the AMC network. So from there, um, just kind of, you know, working your way up the ladder and, you know, eventually wheezing your, weaseling your way into a writer's room. Uh, working on a few shows and I just kind of realized like uh, screenwriting is great, but the Hollywood infrastructure doesn't make a lot of sense to me because, hmm. I mean, I think that there's something to be said about paying dues. I think that that's a certain level of uh, there's a certain level of requirement to that. You know, you got a unit. You, you, you can't start off. Being an all-star NBA player, you right. gotta, you gotta get recruited, you gotta get drafted. You know what I mean? So right. I mean, there's levels of that. But at the same time, I think that the current Hollywood infrastructure doesn't make sense because it's not a mat. It's not always predicated on talent. Right. It's predicated on like, well, I had to do this, so you have to do it. Right. So if you have like a very talented writer in your room, and you're like, well. This guy is great, but we got to we got to put him on ice and have him get our coffee for a couple of weeks or a couple of years because he, I had to do that. So you like that right. don't make sense. Right, right, right. right you know right. what I mean? The best person should always. So I just basically I got tired of um, waiting for other people's permission. Yeah. And that was kind of the impetus for the Extraordinary Negroes,
0: which Mm. kicked everything open
1: uh, because I just got tired of waiting. I should specifically say white approval. Right. You know what I mean? Instead of, you know, waiting for a seat at the table, I was just like, fuck this. You know, I can make my own table. Yep. So in my last writer's room uh, for Strange Angel over at CBS, um, we started the show. And it was around the same time that I decided, like, in order for me to get the writing gigs that I want and to get all the opportunity that I want, I have to become a thing, right? Because if Jamie Foxx tomorrow says, hey, I want to open a dog store, somebody's going to throw money at him just to put his name on it. Right. So I was like, what can I do to make myself as popular as possible in the fastest amount of time? Mm. Going back to my military experience as far as trying to cut the line. Right. I was like, well, I listen to podcasts all the time. They seem like they're the next big thing. Um, I think I could do this. You know what, <laughs> what I'm saying? So um started the podcast and it blew up almost immediately. Yeah. And in part because I mean the name is so good, extraordinary news. Yeah. I mean, come on. That helps a lot. Yeah. Name name helps a lot. But part of it was a matter of like through the relationships that I fostered as a writer, I was able to reach out to people that were had a certain level of cachet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one thing that I tell people when they're always talking about, like, how do I, you know, get more attention to my show or something like that? Guests are important. Yeah. If you're not already a name yourself, people want to hear from people they're interested in and right. they don't have to necessarily be like a popular person. They can be an interesting person with a certain level of following a certain level of influence. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's, um, so, you know, we started our debut episode. We brought on uh, Danima. Danima. Panama and Damon from Very Smart Brothers, mm. and from there it was on. Yeah. Like we we blew up immediately from there, and we just you know kept inviting more and more people. Cause initially we only invited people we knew. Yeah, we didn't feel like we had that cachet yet, and you know, party feels you know rejection. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't ever want everyone to be like, hey, you want, it? and they're like, nah. So you know, we had KSA on there. We had uh, Harry uh, Z- Zayed. uh We've had, um, geez, we've had all kinds of people on there. Yeah, you guys should definitely go check out this
0: podcast. You can just flip right over and search for it after you're done listening to this Yeah, we've had,
1: uh, (laughs) I mean, I can't even really think of all the names of the people. We've had Lovey on there. We've had had mad people on that show. Um, But more importantly, we've had a lot of people that people didn't know. Yeah. Because specifically, I wanted to, like I said earlier, there's a lot of people out there that might not necessarily be big names, but they have like amazing stories. Right. And by that point, we had kind of established our name as being strong enough to where we didn't need to rely on guests. Right. So, uh, like, one of my favorite episodes, honestly, is this woman that reached out to us around the time Black Panther came out. Actually, she reached out way before, like, maybe like five, six months before. Okay. And she had gone to, um, she had lived in the the U.S., and she was like, yo, this is whack. Like, I want to go back to the motherland. I want to be around my people. She picks up. Relocates her whole family, goes to back to Africa. I think uh, it was Ghana or Johannesburg or whatever. Goes out there, lives out there for a year, hates it. Okay, wow. she's like, "This is not what I thought," and she's like, "Maybe I need to go back to the states." And Ended up bringing back to the state. The story is incredible. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy story, and just like to think about how we, there's so many of us that have that. We feel like we have that disconnection. Yeah. For her to feel like, you know, kind of document that experience. Right. And we ended up dropping it around the time Black Panther came out. Wow, so that's just, really cool. people just ate that up. To
0: hear about the experience of going back yeah. to Africa. Yeah.
1: Yeah, wow, okay. So, yeah, just, you know, with Extraordinary Negroes, it, it it when it blew up immediately, I was working in the writer's room. And when you're supposed to be writing and working and shit like that, like, I was editing episodes in there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. I was like, yo, this is picking up. I'm trying to make moves. And at the same time, you're trying to stay low because, you know, you don't want your writer's room to know that to you know that to, you're working on other shit at the same time <laughs> and it's yeah, blowing up because they're like know. they're like when do you have the time because you're here from like nine to six so yeah. like uh, i
0: don't know you know <laughs> cause,
1: yeah because that i mean <clears throat> at that point in time i was waking up at seven uh because i was still living in burbank then waking up at seven getting there at nine leaving at like six Getting home at eight and then recording episodes at like eight ten, like uh, we, I, we schedule episodes I get it. That's to record. The grind. That's you gotta do grind. what you gotta do. I get it. I'm in it. I'm <laughs> in it yeah. with you. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, that took off and then from there, it's just been a, a matter of just continuing to leverage, um, you know, building out that brand and you know into other opportunities, whether it's you know commentating on you know the E. T. Um, Entertainment Tonight or you know NPR or uh, speaking engagements um, and, you know, parlaying that into also, um, you know, becoming a staff writer over at the root. Yeah. Um, And I mean, it's just the Negroes really just kind of took everything was to another level. Thing. That, that and, was the thing.
0: And so what do you what would you say is probably the biggest lesson that you learned in this process of going through all these different jobs and all these different types of careers and then get to this point where you have this blow up in this unexpected yeah totally unexpected way what's like the biggest lesson that you learned or biggest piece of advice that you would give one of the listeners who's on their grind or in some part of their journey
1: i would say the biggest piece of advice is something that i already said like don't wait for permission
0: mm. because a
1: lot of times we put the power in gatekeepers who oftentimes don't look like us yeah. or resemble us yeah. or have our best interests at heart yeah when nobody is gonna bust their ass harder for you than you yeah. And it's like if you can create something that you believe in and you're willing to put that work in and just not quit. Yeah. The sky's a limit. You know what I mean? And I mean, I'm a testimony and proof of that. And I've been able to expand that into s- supporting the creative endeavors of other people through my company, Extraordinary Ideas. And, yeah. You know, doing, you know, all kinds of stuff through that. So
0: such cool stuff. I went to just a few weeks ago, went to Jay, put on an event um, Podcasters of color, actually, which was yeah. just so cool to have a room full at YouTube, you yeah. know, a, in this beautiful space, um, a room full of people of color who were doing podcasting. And it was just like a, a room that never existed, never. you know, that doesn't exist. It doesn't, you yeah. know, outside of that one space in time. Yeah. And so what you're doing is really important. But you know what, Jay? I cannot get off this podcast without talking about your drawing again.
1: Yeah. We got to talk about <laughs> your drawing again. We got to get into
0: this. So yeah. tell me, because it seems like, you know, I've been I do a lot of work and reading and listening to people's stuff around like purpose, yeah, right. And it seems like there's been all these different things that you've tried to do that have seems like they should be impossible, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, I'm going to go to the military, and then become the best. I'm going to do this and become the best. I do the podcast, and you become the best. Yeah. Why is it that you don't think you could do that
1: same thing with drawing, but you could do it with anything else? I feel. A funny, it's funny because drawing is a is a I wouldn't say sensitive, but yeah. it's just kind of like I feel like my it's so time deeply is deeply personal. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. It's just a matter of just because I feel like I, I'm out of my prime. Like I feel like you can become a writer at any age, you can become a musician at any age, but I feel like drawing is such a certain skill that you refine over a period of time. That if you like drop it and don't do anything with it for 20 years like clearly that skill degrades is that true i it has to like i i refuse to believe that i could pick up a pencil now and draw as well as i did when i was 16
0: but but if you paid your dues and went back into it you know even just with some small level of commitment once a week you know something like that do you feel like you'd be able to gain i just as i'm listening to you You know, like, one of the things that I think about with a lot of our listeners when they ask questions, when they call in our people talking, is, like, there's that thing inside of us. And when I heard you say the word regret, there's, like, that thing inside of us that we almost know that we'll never fully, fully, fully be fulfilled without. Yeah. And it seems like drawing for you might be something like that, you know? Like, to understand, like, if you... Like, as you said, it was a regret, but yeah. I think it's not true that you can't actually do it. Like, there's probably people who started drawing older than you are right now. and oh, I yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great.
1: You yeah. know what I mean? So, I don't know. I just want to, like... See, but I also think a part of it also is a matter of, like... In the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, but what if I didn't stop for last 20? Like, how dope would I be now as opposed to me, like, basically starting over from the, from scratch? Right. You know what I'm saying?
0: I get that. And I share... The reason I'm, I'm talking about this with you, man, because I share this with you so fully. Yeah. So, like, I don't know that it, you know this, but, like, so I had always wanted to do music when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. right? Like, music was my... Music was what was my drawing. Okay. Right? And... But I got super teased and super bullied when I was in school, like really bad about being feminine, about being gay, about being this, being that. And like a lot of it was about my voice and how I talked. And when I was singing, it was too feminine. And so I wasn't allowed to sing and all this kind of shit happened. So when I was like 16, 17, I just completely stopped singing. Like I just quit. I was like, I can't do this because everyone's calling me gay. I'm done. Went to college, didn't do it, didn't do anything. Seven years ago yesterday, literally exactly seven years ago from yesterday, my grandma, who I was super close to, got diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm. Doctors told her she had two months to live. When I went home to see her, she looks me in the eyes and she just goes, we'll talk about me later. But if you were in my shoes and you knew for sure you were going to die in two months, what would you do? And I was like, what? You wow. Know? And she was like, baby, you know, sit here. Oh, baby. You know how grandmas be? <laughs> you know what I mean? My grandma's just like, you're gonna sit here until you answer this question. And instantly, it was like, I didn't even wanna say it out loud, but I was like, I would stop everything and I would record an album. And she was like, I know, because this is one of the gifts that God gave you that you didn't even have to try for. Mm. It was an instant thing from when you were a little kid that was like just a part of you, but you gave up. You quit. You gave up on it. And it's okay, but you have to forgive yourself for that. Mm. And do something with this gift because once you step into it, if it was really like your God given or universe given whatever talent, that's where like the miracles and the surprises and shit that we can't even expect, we end up moving faster than anyone else, you know, could ever imagine. And so when I hear you talk about this, it reminds me of this because I thought literally I started doing music, started recording an album. I ended up being, it was at, you know, good, the album. And I thought I said those exact words. If I wouldn't have stopped when I was 16, I wonder how good I would be now. Yeah. Fast forward, my album chart in the top 20. What? First, first go. Ow. You know, all and I'm not saying this shit to brag. Yeah. I'm saying this because like I have friends, you know, in LA who've been pushing the pavement trying to perform in every damn club in LA every week yeah. for 15 years. And here I come. Ooh, my first gate. album. Boom. That's the universe going, okay, we're going to play catch up now, Yeah, you know? So I don't, I just like, when I hear you talk about that, I think about what would have happened if I let the, the fear in the stories about like, oh, I'm not going to be good enough anymore. This is too late for me. Yeah. It's, it would have been <clears> such <throat> a, you know, I wouldn't be anywhere, you know, that I am now. So I just like, from my heart I'm just sending you like yeah. some inspiration to just do a little something
1: you know yeah. to wake that back up in you cuz it's a gift man It definitely is man and I think that's one of the reasons why uh it's a regret but I haven't really lost a lot of sleep over it just because and this is not to brag but I'm extremely good at a lot of different things I get it and it's like it's not for me, it's not like something I'm passionate about. And a lot of people are passionate about certain gifts. Mm-hmm. I was never passionate about drawing. I was just really fucking good at it. Mm-hmm. So I just liked it. I was just like, oh, I'm dope. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, that's kind of, and it surprised people when I say this, but that's how I kind of feel about writing. Right. And like when I hear about people that are screenwriters or writers and they're like, I wake up every day and I got to get this story out. I'm like, that's, that's not, not me. That's not me. Yeah. I just I wake that. up and I'm like, yeah. And people are like, oh, my God, that's incredible. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know yeah. what I
0: mean? So It's such a blessing. It's like a blessing and a curse. Definitely. You know, it's a blessing and a curse when you're good at a lot of things instantly because then you kind of have to try to figure out what it is that you actually want to do, yeah. you know, because you can do so many things. I'm sure yeah. somebody listening who who shares that understands. I You know, I just, I would just challenge you for, like, a month just try right drawing even for 15 minutes once a day and see
1: what happens yeah. like uh, maybe take classes or something
0: no you don't need to take a class like do it with no goal mm. just to draw
1: no expectations. no
0: yeah no goal mm. not to become famous not to become marvel but like just to see what happens if you wake that up inside of you and then maybe the goal will appear mm. you know that's how i did the music thing yeah i was like i'm gonna do an album and get, release it to my friends and family and it'll be this fun thing. Next thing I know, I mean, you see it all on the wall, Yeah, you know, it's like, so I don't know. I would just offer that to you, Jay. And for anybody listening, who's dealing with that same kind of story, you know, it's too late. It's yeah. uh, I stopped. I'm not good enough or, you know, whatever. I think we all, especially black people, we do and accomplish so many things that people say we couldn't ever do. Ever. But then the one thing that we maybe really want to do, we've internalized that oppression mm. and said that we can't right. do that one thing, right. you know. And so anyway, so I just went into preach mode I had to. <laughs> I had to give it to you because I just want you to, I want you to draw receive it. <laughs> receive it. I receive it. Yeah. So Jay, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, oh my god, we're like almost done here, but the um I guess What I wanted to ask you in closing is like, if there was one message that you can share with all the listeners right now, we have black people listening from all over the entire world right now. I think 30 different countries are listening to this episode.
1: What is the one message that you would share? I would say be of service to people. I think, I think a lot of times, uh, especially as creatives, we spend so much time and energy worrying about like getting ourselves where we need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I hear podcasters always talk about, like, how do I get more listens? And it's kind of like I said in my event Thursday, like, whatever it is that you want people to do for you, do that for other people. Yep. It's just that simple. I can't tell you specifically what that is, but whatever it is that you wish that people would do with your show, do that for other people. Because we have, we live in a world in which we're constantly worrying about, like, finding people to consume our content. But if everybody wants to be a creator, who's going to listen?
0: Who's going to listen?
1: Who's going to, you know, if everybody wants to be a writer, who's going to read? Right. If if everybody wants to be a singer, who's going to, you know, th- download the albums? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like we need to, I think we need to do a better job of just being in service to people, finding out ways that we can add value to what it is that other people are doing. So I guess yeah. that would be the thing that I would challenge other people to do.
0: Man, that is so important. I remember you said that at your event and that, I, that really stuck with me too. And I think it's... um one of the things, especially as we are building our own tables, like you said, you know, yeah. and and even getting in certain rooms or raising up our positions, quote unquote, you know, in society, like as black people, we have to look around and see how can we serve and support and give and build our community together. It's yeah. a huge thing.
1: Absolutely. And another thing, you know, I think that something that we don't explore enough or, or not cognizant enough is the fact that imagination is a privilege. Ooh. You know, we're so used to not... Seeing certain things and not having examples that it's like, you know, white kids have all these examples of things that are supposed to be and it's supposed to exist. You know what yeah. I mean? They have astronauts. They have presidents. They have right. all these things. We didn't have Obama when we were growing up. Right. So we when we heard that, you know, he was even nominated. We were like, what? That it, shit.
0: Yeah. And yeah. people didn't even believe that it could happen.
1: Didn't even. believe. Yeah, like at our, this
0: point, I remember reading something that at this point where we are today, when this episode is released. Yeah. In the presidential election thing. Obama had a 1% chance of winning when we were, you know, in the equivalent space back then in 2007. I'm surprised it was Wasn't even that high. That, yeah, which is amazing, you know. But, yeah, I mean, this imagination thing that you're talking about is, it's really interesting that you put it that way. Like, it is a privilege because a lot of us are told, like, oh, you can't do that.
1: Right. 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 I mean, look at Jaden and Willow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we were, we were scared of them. We didn't know what the hell to think. We right. never saw no free black kids before. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it's like now that, you know, they're basically provided a template. Well, Will and Jade have provided a template for other parents to follow and feel a little bit more encouraged to allow us to be more free. So, okay. I mean, I think that that's, you know, imagination. Like I said, it's a privilege and it's something that we have to see beyond what exists. Otherwise, yeah. it's never going to cre- be created. Yeah. Wow, man. This is so good. And I, I think this is why
0: it's so essential and important that the things like people like you in the world exist and the Jadens and, and the you. Willows and all of us, yeah. you know, like everything that's happening. And, and I, I don't want to just say this for people listening, like it's not even about famous. It's not about that. It's mm-hmm. about your community. It's about the people who are around you, your family. And like, you know, I think about um, right now there was that thing on the, on that came out around Tia Mari around um, how she doesn't spank her kids. Yeah. yeah. Did you see this? I
1: saw a brief yeah, I clip. I saw it on it. Instagram. So yeah. Tia
0: Mari was, was, I saw a clip on Instagram and they were talking to her and she was talking about how like she used to get whoopings, like probably most of us, yeah. did, you know, and she was like, um, no, I don't whoop my kids. And, you know, I was so interesting because you know, a lot of white people don't whoop their kids, right? you know, and uh, almost every black person I know whoops, who, I grew up with whoopings, you know, yeah. like I did with the belt, with the switch, with whatever the fuck, you, you, with the shoe, with yeah. the hanger, cutting board, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever. And, but when she explained it, she was like, oh no, because I think when you are spanking your kids, I'm trying to not mess up what she said, but she said something like when you, when you're spanking your kids, it's because you As the parent, don't have your shit together. Yeah, that's because you're trying to get your kid to instantly do something so that you don't have to explain. You don't have to think critically. You just have them instantly following your order, so they're not being "quote unquote" bad. And she's like, it's not about discipline. But like, if you just spank them, that means you don't got to explain anything. You don't have to think about maybe the thing that you're telling them to do doesn't actually make that much sense, you know?
1: It's conditioning.
0: It's conditioning. And it's, you know, I think everybody will do their own thing. But what was cool about that, the reason I'm bringing that up is, you know, Tia Mowry is somebody who we've seen, you know, since we was all little kids growing up and people look up to her and, you know, admire her. And there were thousands and thousands of comments on these things now of other parents, who were saying, oh, I've always been embarrassed about it, but I don't spank my kids either. And it's like, here we are as black people, not even knowing that it's a thing that people aren't spanking their kids. And so it just, I'm just saying that like the more of us who are open about the ways that we're shifting and changing and the things that are happening in the world and how we're freeing ourselves, the more of us that will be able to see that it's
1: possible. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, even with the thing, like, you know, um, the, the non-spanking thing, I mean, I'm the same way. I've never spanked my son ever in life. Um, and, for me, it's a matter of, outside of the fact that I feel like it's a failure on my part, I feel like I never want my son to associate me with violence. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like and, there's and, enough of that shit on TV with black men already. Yeah, and it's just, like, I never want my son to associate, like, love with pain. Mm-hmm. Like, my dad hits me because he loves me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that, that that there's there's meaning behind that. Yeah. Um, but I mean Tia hit the nail on the head too. A lot of the time it's it's a matter of like, I'm tired, I'm frustrated, I've been at work all day, I don't wanna deal with your shit. So right. instead of, you know, doing critical thinking and like really trying to work through a problem, I'm just gonna hit you and go to sleep. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean and that, that's not healthy man and yeah. I mean a lot of us are damaged and that's you know that's generational uh, curses and damage and yeah. stuff that's being passed down through us that began with slavery totally and it's the
0: same oppression that we have internalized and now we're passing it down right like, you know that was passed on to us is so real right. And you know I think this is our uh, big opportunity for us to be undoing that and we are yeah I, we're the first generation that I think is is shaking some shit up, actively shaking yeah. shit up yeah Ah, Jay, thank you so much, man. Oh,
1: man, thank you for having me, bro. How can people find you? You can find me on uh, at Twitter, at Instagram, um, at Death to Adverbs, D E A T H T O A D V E R B S, which is a, uh, a a nod to me being a writer. Yep. <laughs> um, you can follow the podcast um, at the at the Extra Negroes on Twitter, Instagram. And uh, Facebook, I think it's just The Extraordinary Negroes. And um, our website is The Extraordinary Negroes. And mine, whenever I get my life together, is uh, <laughs> j-connor, dot com. It's up. I just haven't... It's up. I'm on it. I just, it needs an update. Well, no. I, I, <laughs> I screwed it up. Like, the uh, the HML stuff. So, yeah. like, now, whenever you go to it, it won't... I did something with the, the loops. Uh, I don't know what I did. So, I got to yeah. hire somebody. It's probably, like, a $10 fix, but... It'll happen. I'm supposed to get I'm, it done. I'm sure there's month.
0: a bunch of people listening who need to do something with their website, yes. including me. So it's yes. like the life, You know, don't like, judge me, y'all. Don't judge. Don't you know judge. what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah, that's how you uh, I mean. awesome. And we'll have a bunch of those links and stuff in the show notes for you guys to click on and, and see, so you can see more about Jay and all the amazing thing that he ha- things that he has happening. And please go listen to the Extraordinary Negroes podcast episodes. There's some really amazing, amazing stories for you to hear on there. And for you listening, if you haven't done so already. I definitely encourage you to go to motivationforblackpeople.com, put in your name and email address. All that happens is we send you one episode every single week so you don't miss it with trusted guidance to make your life better from black people who are doing cool shit in the world. And it is a great honor and privilege that you allow me into your ears every week. Uh, It's really something that I don't take for granted. So I thank you. I honor you. I love you. This has been Justin Michael Williams, and I will talk to you in the next episode.